welcome to the Water Words Podcast. <laughs> guess who you got? Guess who you got? Just guess. Guess who it is? Uh, I'm Shara. And I'm Liz. We're a little rusty there. Because, you know, we've been we've been we've been on break for, for yes. a little bit. So we took yeah. a whole month off and yes. we're back. We took some time to regroup, reset. So we're we're a little rusty, but you know, I'm glad you're here. Welcome. Yes. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. To, welcome to welcome. the Auntie Aunties of Inclusion, More Than Words Podcast. Liz and Shara. What else? Yes. What else? We said all the things, I think. I think okay. we said all the things. Let's, I just want to go back to just remind people, like, you heard us say we took a month off. Listen, the algorithm don't run us. I just want to throw that out there. Uh, I know that's how, you know, people navigate the world these days, but let me that's just tell you, we are not doing it, okay? No. We got winter breaks. We got summer breaks. We're going to do all the things because real life is real life. And so, yeah, we had a break. And guess what? If you didn't know we was having a break, that means you're not following us on social media because we let y'all know that the kitchen was closed. Okay. The kitchen was closed. We were gone living full lives. And so, yes, welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. We have some great interviews. Listen, before break, we had some good interviews. So y'all about to be in store for some things that y'all haven't heard. And then also we have an amazing interview today. Mm -hmm. So listen, Liz. I don't know, because I haven't talked to you in a couple of days. And when I say a couple of days, Liz and I got, I'm just talking about, not about, we wasn't talking about more than words. We be just talking because we, we us, you know. But I'm going to, I want to know the auntie. I'm going to give the auntie moment to Liz, because I have not talked to her. I don't even know where she going with this, because we don't have so many breaks and good conversation <laughs> about other things that's not this. Um, So Liz, I'm going to go to the auntie moment. I want to know what you about to say. What you got in store for our listeners? Because they don't know. And I don't know either. Well, <laughs> <laughs> let me just, let me take a little sip of my coffee. Uh-oh. It's, it's real bad. It's real good now. All right, though. Anytime you do the little dramatic pause, what, what we got? I'm a little nervous now. I'm getting you a little know, hot. No, you shouldn't be. Uh, one of the things that... um really came up for me during my break. So we took our break. Um, I took that opportunity to reconnect with my family, reconnect with myself, reconnect with the tools that really help me in moments when I'm not self-regulating, I'm, you know, more on like the stressful side or, you know, yeah, so just more like I'm not self-regulating. I'm not, you know, and I know that sounds a terrible word to say, but it's it's more like I'm not 100% myself that, you know, I'm either stressed out. It's just part of life, right? It it tends to, it happens. Um, one of the things that really came up was the topic of well-being. And I know that's something that you and I promote. We promote a lot of self-care, a lot of self-love, and we have a, a lot of episodes on that. But well-being is something, it's a very hot topic at the moment. So many of, of my clients are, are bringing in well-being into their organizations. Um, and one thing that really stood out for me from a well-being standpoint is actually like, what? how do you define well-being, right? Um, how, how do you, um, what are the things that are most important to you from well-being? Also, what do your employees need from that sense? 
rather than jumping on that bus of all the the like of all the trendy things that are happening and all the things like just simple as having these conversations and these dialogues with your employees and asking them like how would you define well-being and how would and what are the things that you need to support your well-being journey right and then and then tying it up in a beautiful little bowl not bowl but a bow <laughs> not a bowl, a bow with some data behind it. You know, what happens when employees are at, uh, performing at their best, showing up in their best selves, right? Because one of the things that um, it, for me that came up during this time frame is um, financial well-being. So, you know, we made this big move. I quit my corporate job. I started my business. Um, I've invested a lot of money into my business and um, and also the move was, you know, a very big hit. And so my husband and I started, you know, we have our our family meetings <laughs> and where we talk about dad jokes and we talk about, you know, what we want to accomplish. One of the things that we established and we do this on a on a Monday morning over cafecito and pan dulce um, or the British version of pan dulce, <laughs> you know, um, or we do it on a Friday afternoon at our favorite um, coffee shop, hashtag Whitmore and White here in Frogham. Um, I am giving them a, a shout out because they're they're amazing. Um, so we go there and have a glass of wine and we talk about our financial well-being. We talk about what is important for us. We talk about, well, what are the things that are going to help us get to our goals? What are those goals? Are those goals really because we want them or are they societal pressures that we're trying to have? And I think that's one of the biggest things. One of a while ago, you asked me, what are your what is your biggest takeaway from moving from Houston to the UK or to here in Frogham? And and I obviously said, not obviously, but what I said was like, I have more time, I have more autonomy. One of the things, and I didn't even know it was something that came up until I took my break, was the financial well-being. And I'm not saying like I'm rich, so don't be coming to me for loans because I ain't rich. <laughs> I didn't win the lottery, <laughs> okay? What that means is I am no longer signing up to what society says I need to spend money on. I am now and not and not pressuring to buy gifts for people that I don't that I'm doing if I have to really think about like okay am I buying gifts because I feel obligated to or because it's something that I really want to. Am I spending all this money on, you know, XYZ? The second thing or the third thing, fourth, I don't know what number I'm on. The other thing from a financial well-being also was how am I supporting other people? You know, we talk about reaching back, reaching sideways, reaching, reaching forward. How am I supporting other business owners in this sense? Like who am I giving my money to? Is it in line with our value system, my personal value system? And I know we do that with our own podcast, people who we work with and we have on our show, they have to be in line with our value system. How often have we thought about where we shop and where we spend our money to money in and where we invest personally as a family 
you know, are we doing it from a, a, a sense of convenience and, and no problem? I mean, of course, right? Like we all know that convenience of having something delivered to your house in two days where you don't have to go out, especially when you got kids, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, now our lives have changed. So how are we changing that side of it? So that's kind of like from a well-being standpoint, I think oftentimes people forget about the financial side of it. And I think it's something really important. And go back to our episode from January with Christian Brooks on getting your life right from a financial standpoint, picking and tying, getting bookkeeping, reach out to her, go on her YouTube page. Cause that's what we did. We went on to Christian's YouTube and we watched her videos and we said, you know what, we're, we have a spreadsheet. We're going to take it and we're going to upgrade it and we're going to make it suitable to our value system. And that has made such a big difference. And I'm pretty sure you didn't think that's what we were going with today. <laughs> First of all, it was so many gems in there. I didn't know where to go. First of all, that was not it. Okay, that wasn't it even close. But um, I love this conversation. Listen, it's interesting. First of all, you smiled the whole time, which I y'all don't. Whoever's not watching the video, go go watch this on YouTube. Um, the reason I I'm I want to acknowledge that is oftentimes financial conversations um, don't really yield itself. That is, it's usually such a serious conversation. And when you talk about it, when you were talking about it, it was almost kind of matter of fact. And I, I just appreciate the less intensity around it for a person like myself who'd be like stressing about things like that. And, you know, just want to check all the dots, you know, make sure everything is tied up. Um, and Christian's a great person, the co-partner in that, cause she makes it so calm and easy, but to hear you speak about your value systems in that journey and such transparency is something that we often don't have a lot of smiles around, right? Like people are always talking about, well, you missed it. You know, you didn't miss the Bitcoin. You missed that. And financially, if you wasn't invested two years ago, it's always like a fire sale, right? So I appreciate this conversation. Second, I love the fact that you talked about that and well-being. It's all the, always those things that like, yeah, we're talking about self-care and yeah, we can talk about, you know, um, you know, disconnecting from social media and technology and all those types of things to kind of have a break. But we don't often hear people talk about the transparency around the things that are kind of even more day to day, like money and finances and those types of things and how, you know, even value systems change, right? Your value system changes from the UK, I mean, the US to the UK in such a slight way, right? putting more intentionality around it. We don't really talk about that in those ways. Like we talk about major relationships and things that kind of have changed drastically. But this right here is basically a shift in growth of a value system, like a values to say, listen, money's been important to me, but now it has a different prioritization in it. And guess what? It feels different for me. We have heard that conversation before, right? Like let's talk for people who be so rich, right? Like they be like, oh yeah, one minute I was, sleeping in my car next minute you know now i'm rich rich in the island of myself but i appreciate this particular conversation because it's more it's much more commonplace and real like how many of us haven't had these moments where like to just kind of think about it in a way with well-being in mind meaning like this is not going to be something that takes over me and consume me it's going to be something that i'm 
intentional about and I'm gonna put just as much care as I do in my body and my mind and those types of things around 100%, it. A hundred percent sure. And yes, absolutely like our value system definitely changed from from that financial side and, and stepping away from the environment being in Houston and being in, in that environment, it 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 allowed us to think more clearly on that as well. I, I read somewhere, you know, after the Maui fires and you know we're all thinking about them trying to rebuild and and everything um i read somewhere that we are closer to being homeless because of a climate change than we are billionaires so think about that i don't get real political and i'm getting i'm pressing those buttons a little bit but think about that from your own financial well-being and you know how much of that and and do think about it from from a like this is a this is necessity right and we're not talking about like we understand what the complications are what the um what from a psychological standpoint how people feel when they're when they are poor um we're not talking about the uber rich right we're talking about the everyday the everyday people just making it you know that that's who we're talking about and 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 it's and it's an important conversation to have and i challenge people like go ahead and have that conversation with your loved ones form if if you're if you're if you're a single female single man form form a, uh, an accountability circle on your financial side of it start talking about it really yeah. understand because someone else has has information that you need and that's going to help you in the long run. Yeah, I would I would just add that, you know, that's a really important conversation. What happened in Maui? And I don't think I think we would be remiss not to talk about it as spe specifically around this particular conversation around because we've talked about climate change here and also, you know, the impacts of, you know, who gets prioritized, right? How equity works in these instances, right? When we talk about resources, et cetera, it's, it's interesting. When I saw that Maui story, first of all, my heart goes out, right? To hear how fast, how sweeping, how vast, um, that the wildfires just kind of, uh, how fast it moved through that island. And when I thought about it, the way the commentary was going around people trying to buy people homes the day after or whatever the case may be, and, you know, give and talk about, Hey, give me this, we, you know, I'll, I'll take over your lease while you figure out how to rebuild somewhere. Right. And just to hear about just in general, the cost of living that was already rising for that community, that community in general, it reminded me so much of Hurricane Katrina. Right. It, and I know it's two different um, two different types of climate that kind of has impacted that location. And people can say what they want about, you know, hurricanes and preparation. But I'm just saying once a tragedy, something that is so vast and sweeping hit a community and specifically a community that is just working class day to day, just, you know, we, we talk about Maui and we usually talk about the Uber rich, but this was just individuals from there just working and living and probably, you know, having connections to some of those big major resorts there and all that stuff that's, you know, people are known for versus the community that actually works in it. I just kept thinking about Hurricane Katrina and like the storyline around how recovery was and how predatory people were about, you know, trying to get that people's land or taking over, you know, different areas 
um, doing redevelopment. And it's one of those things where it's like, we, we're not only are we not talking about the fact that Hurricane Katrina was just the beginning of major, major storms, right? I'm sure there was even more after that, like, you know, Rita, and you could just keep going, all the ones, right? Um, even up to Harvey, huge storms that has wreaked havoc. But to not talk about the fact that we as a community and how does the working class and the inequities around how we care for those individuals in one of the most horrifying moments of their lives. I mean, it's, it's a little bit insensitive, right? Like the storyline right now, isn't the recovery. It's the predatory behavior of people trying to take over the land. And I'm thinking to myself, well, what about that mom and that family, right? Who are, you know, had to go to work that day and came back and they had nothing, you know, like what about those individuals? They're getting overwhelmed by, you know, huge, you know, donation systems, right? They're saying, well, donate and we'll get the money to people. Okay, but what about the people, right? We're starting to make it seem so commonplace and taking the humanity out of it. And I'm sorry, I had to go off on that tangent, but that to me, when, when I think about equity and I think about the conversations we have with Karen about climate change and even Christian who shared information about that too, I'm thinking about how the stories get drowned out and we've, we're coming so commonplace for us. Um, the last thing I'll say, Liz, about the well-being part is I'm just so proud of you and the work that you and your company is doing around well-being. And I and I, I have the I, one day you got to share and give the hot tea about the stuff that you've been doing. But I, I will say that I love that you have taken that on and many other companies have kind of not a lot of not not many, but some companies are really taking on well-being in their organizations and creating, you know, employee resource groups and communities of practice around this, because it is really a key dimension in about how people feel connected, no matter where they are. And I'm so happy to see it because we're in such, you know, volatile times. Like one day it's great. And one day it's, you know, it's something that's sweeping and hugely impactful, which we're going to talk about um, even on this call today with our guests, but yes. I'm really proud of you in that uh, work. Like, thanks. I'm glad you're you. bringing it to the masses. Yeah, no. And you know, yeah, no, thank you so much. And one of the things is like thinking about what your superpower is, right. And we're going to talk about this. I'm going to introduce our guests shortly. And, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about this. I don't want to say it all because I know this is how this person introduces themselves. So I want to make sure we leave space for, for her as well. Um, but, you know, one of the things coming from a Latino community is it is the sense of community. One, one of the reasons why I am so good at building communities, because it's just something that generationally, this is how we've survived for so long and through so many things and through so many experiences. So that's why I use my superpower in organizations. It's a personal lived experience and well-being is something that wasn't wasn't. Um, I didn't feel like it was reserved for me and how I saw my my mother and my tias and my abuelita um, kind of move around the world, putting themselves second. I chose to break that cycle and I chose to say, no, we're taking care of ourselves in basic things. So what I did during my four weeks off is I booked all my appointments, my well woman appointments. I got my financial well-being. I signed up my therapist once again. I have a new journal. <laughs> you know, I went to go do acupuncture and I had not never done that before. I share 
if that's okay, well, I don't want to share you. I started seeing my nutritionist again. And, um, you know, uh, so I, I, I getting my, I started running again and, um, yeah, so it's been a whirlwind and it's all part of like coming back to my own, my own experience and my own and my why. So that, all that being said, we had a very long auntie moment. I'm sure our guest is like, can I come on now? Yes. So I want to introduce Hadi Mendez. Hadi was recommended to us by Tony Farmer. He was a year ago, actually, he was like on our podcast. So go back to a year and go check out his episode. So he connected us with Hadi and Shara, you and I spoke to Hadi separately. And then in, in her and I's conversation, we really got into um, our love of graffiti together, our love of our Latino, our Latino community, like how we show up in spaces. And then she brought in a whole dimension that I was like, I don't know anything about this world. I want to know more about it. I want you to come on our episode. And I'm so grateful and honored that she's come on to our episode. So Hadi, turn on your camera, put on your mic. Welcome yes. to the show. Hi. <laughs> oh, I feel so so welcome. Thank you, ladies. <laughs> Thank you. So so listen, Hadi, listen, we're excited about this interview. I mean, first of all, um, we have been trying to get this interview scheduled and I have been waiting, 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 waiting for this conversation. I also get super nervous when Liz uh, gets the last interview when we do Discovery Meeting separately because you just never know where you're going to go. And now I feel like I missed out on such a great conversation. I'm like, I have FOMO, so I can't wait to hear all the storyline. Uh, but Hadi, listen. You haven't heard the show before, so you know how we get things started. And so we have, of course, our diversity will questions. So those of you who are new to this and this is the first time you heard about it, we don't do our traditional introductions. We want to ask people, if you haven't checked out the diversity will, go check it out. How do people navigate the world? What are the top three things that they navigate the world day to day that is like key and core to their identity? Um, and then the second question is, how do they navigate the stereotypes that come along with those three identities. So, um, Hadi, over to you. Okay. Well, I, I upon a deep introspection and reflection, actually, it didn't take me very long because I am reminded of these three things. I think all day, every day. It's my age, my my gender, and my ethnicity. I think those are the three things that, um, when I show up, wherever I show up. This is what people see first. And, and then, you know, to your point about stereotypes, they're already putting me in a box and they're like, she's like this and she must be like that. And, you know, she must be either very emotional or she's loud or she's, uh, I, I don't know, she likes spicy food or she could dance salsa. I don't know that there's so many uh, things or maybe, you know, it, from an age perspective, I'm a proud generation Xer. But like, you know, some folks might be like, oh, she's old school or she's, you know, she's not going to get us because we're we're millennials or we're Gen Z and we we're like a different breed. And um, I don't think anything could be further from the truth. I'm actually quite inspired by young folks and uh, I listen to them a lot because I feel like they have the courage to do and say the things that we were thinking, but not doing or saying, you know, we weren't saying it out loud. It just wasn't. The right time for it so um but yeah uh hello to your audience and officially i want to say i'm hottie my pronouns are she her and hers i identify as latina 
and a woman of color. I am actually Puerto Rican, New York Rican, and uh, like I said, a proud generation Xer. And I'm and I'm in Brooklyn, New York right now. So I just wanted to throw those other pieces of information out there. So yeah, y'all could put me in more boxes if you want. Yes. <laughs> Brooklyn, listen. That's okay. right. Brooklyn. I just saw an Instagram on a bookstore in Brooklyn that I want yes. to go visit. It's like Is Brooklyn. it called Cafe con Libros? That one, yes. Oh, I have that one yes. on my list. Come. And the other one was like a bookstore and wine shop. And I'm like, yes. is, is it Lip Bar? Yes. Yeah, Lip Bar's in the Bronx. It's in the South Bronx. And oh, near, okay. I used to work near there. And then um, Cafe con Libros is actually in Brooklyn probably about a half hour 40 minute walk from where i live yes i follow i follow their their instagram so yes yeah, shout out cafe con libros thank you <laughs> yes first of all the only thing i was gonna say when you said brooklyn i was like 50 years of hip-hop i don't know where that came from the best i'm just saying i just started i was like what i was like what are we talking about coffee i'm like 50 years of hip-hop like so, so just so you know i i do want to give credit where credit is due hip-hop started in the bronx so we can't take credit for it obviously brooklyn made a lot of contributions along yeah. the way over those last 50 years but it did start in the bronx and um, yes, it's been a summer of hip hop here in New York City. There's been like concerts and like street art uh, memorials, dedications, um, a lot of DJs doing things, parties, yes. people dancing. Like it's been a fun summer. So yeah, yes. it's been a nice celebration. See, I appreciate the. I, I love sharing the love. I was like, listen, first of all, I got my, one of my best friends live in the Bronx. So how dare I get that wrong? So I don't mean no problem. I want no problems after this uh, podcast. <laughs> I wanted to ask you a quick question, Hadi. I mean, you, you, when you shared about your the three identities, um, oftentimes, with, and you shared a lot about the stereotypes. But I, I wanted to just ask one quick question before we moved on, which was, out of all the stereotypes. Which are the most prominent ones that you have to deal with at this point of the three that you mentioned? Like, what is the ones that's oftentimes just the one you have to navigate the most? I think it's that like spicy Latina, you're like super emotional, you're sassy, um, a little sazon. I mean, it's mm. true. It's true. And, you know, it's a time and a place for everything. So it's not like I'm like sassy, you know, in every situation, but I can be if I choose to, but I also know how to like manage that. So um, I try not to be uh, very sassy if I'm new to a space. I just want people to get to know me and I want to get to know them. And, and, you know, little by little, as I get more comfortable and trust the people around me, I start to reveal more of myself and my authentic self. But, you know, um, yeah, I think, um, and, and I'm going to be, I'm going to be talking a little bit about it today, but it's, it's this notion of narratives that people make up mm -hmm. and, um, we really need to be in control of our own narratives. And I have a very specific example of something, a box that a, a manager put me into. And I feel like I do belong in that box, but not in the negative way that he made it out to be. And I just feel sometimes we need to reframe things. Like I am sassy, but it's not like bad. That's good. That's like interesting and unique and different. It's a superpower. You know, I love that you bring that up, Hadi, because we have to think about some of our behaviors and some of the boxes that we are putting ourselves into sometimes as well. It's like, are we doing this because this is our choice? And are we signing up for this narrative because someone else has put us there, society has put us there? 
and one like how true are these narratives are and what do we want I don't think we ask ourselves enough is you know what 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 do we want from this from this narrative you know that I've maybe have carried throughout my life for whatever reason sometimes it could be a sense of 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 safety right like I'm protecting myself and so I'm carrying this behavior or this narrative in a certain way um like one of mine is it may be sassy but it's it's the word bossy it's like mm-hmm. I you know yes it, I it, that's a narrative and something that's put on me as well too is like oh well you're bossy and I, I've I've taken that and no, I don't own it. Like, right, like I, I don't, women, you know, there's a whole thing about women and being bossy and stuff. But one thing that I am is I am extremely assertive. Yes, I can, you know, take control of a room. Yes, I can organize the shit out of something, right? Like, so, and that's part of like my kind of, you know, being assertive in in my own personality so I love that you bring that it's like what are the choices that we're making and what are we allowing for us to carry as our identity and what are we accepting like mm-hmm. you you know some like I said I don't think this person was wrong about how they described me but it was a negative and I wouldn't change anything about it because to me it is a pot it is a strength that I bring mm-hmm. and for people to characterize it or mischaracterize it in any other way and to imply that it's, you know, something other than what it is, 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 you know, I reject that plain and simple. And, and, you know, over time, I feel like a lot of people ask me like, how did, where, where do you come off with like rejecting what people say? And it's like, I think over time, as you gain wisdom, as you get older, as you live and walk the world, you get, you get, the nerve and the strength and courage to be like, no, that's, I, that's a, that's false or that's, I reject that, or that is not true. That's not true in the way you have said it. Let me, let me tell you what is true. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing one, like what, what dimensions were very important for you from the diversity wheel. And then also how they've impacted you and in, in how you show up in different spaces. Um, yep. I know like part of that is kind of your own story because in our discovery, we went through so many different topics. Like we ended up here, we went over here, we spoke a little Spanish, we talked about your experiences. And I know you have your own company called Boldly uh, Boldly Speaking. Um, And you also, I can hear it in your voice too, like your passion for uh, speaking your own truths and and saying the things that like, no, I'm not going to stand for that. No, I'm not going to I'm not going to sign up for this. Okay. I'm going to sign up for myself. You know, in this moment in time, we have, it feels like there's such a big attack on DEI, especially in the States. Why is it important? Why do you think it's important for coaches and consultants in this work um, to speak boldly um, and have their voices heard? Yeah. um, So I'm going to agree with you that I do feel like DEI is under attack. And, um, you know, we, we can look at like, the SCOTUS decision around affirmative action in, at the university level. We can look at the, the recent lawsuit against the Fearless Fund, which is so like absurd. Uh, but I do feel like our adversaries, our ideological adversaries, definitely are, are, are feeling very emboldened right now. And it's something that, you know, they're, they're working to tear down progress that's been years in the making. And we need to be quite vigilant you know, right now more than ever. I mean, we, I think we always have to be vigilant, right? We always have to be 
woke, we always have to be alert on high alert. And I think now uh, it's not any different. Um, and so I would say, you know, to, I'm going to, I'm leading to the end to answering your question, but I want to talk about how some companies are backing away from DEI. And I think they're doing that because they were probably never fully invested in the first place. So they're like, Oh, got to get, you know, move it, keep it moving. Got to do something different like this. Yep. This is bad. Like this is not going to work or this is, um, this is, you know, uh, to some degree, some people are going to say like this, it's not legal to do this. This is not the right way to, to approach it. So I think some companies are backing away and while others are doubling down and they're saying, you know, we're going to continue to invest. We're going to invest more. We're going to commit even more of our resources, um, which obviously that's great to see for the companies that are doing that. But, but what my opinion is that DEI is not going anywhere. And, um, our country is going to be a minority majority country in less than 20 years. I'm talking about the United States, just for, for anybody who's listening. Um, that means, and, and also, uh, so that's one very important factor. The other important factor is that, you know, we, I referenced generation Z, um, earlier about 75% or every three and four Gen Z people coming into the workplace are expecting a thriving DEI program in the places that where they're going to work. Like they're like, that's just table stakes. It's not even like something nice to have or special. It's like, you don't have that. I don't really want to work for you. So there's no way that corporate America can really survive without DEI. It's, you know, um, and so in light of that, I would say now to answer your question, coaches and consultants like me, we're still needed because even though there's a lot of noise and distractions and like people are like, oh, look over here, look over here. The truth is that Companies still need to invest in DEI. Companies still need to um, uh, really commit to DEI because it's table stakes. They're gonna, you know, they, if they really want the best talent in the future, if they wanna, um, yeah, if they even wanna be in the game, they're gonna have to um, keep their eyes on retaining, well, recruiting first, retaining and advancing top talent. Um, that's, that's basically what it boils down to. So I see my role as someone who is just, um, you know, not, not allowing the distractions and the noise to get in the way and really just continuing to work with companies that are focused on that, you know, that, that end game to continue to support them in their endeavors because yeah. it's important. Absolutely. And I love that you bring in about, you know, the Gen Z's that they are wanting, asking, demanding for a very authentic, genuine programs. Um, yep. and, and it's something that's going to be threaded in a company's culture. And on the on, on the other side too, like here in the UK, one thing that they're having, a, they're going to face is, um, you know, the, the older generation is leaving and there's many roles that are going to need to be filled in the future. And how are you doing your succession planning with this in mind? You know, are and it because we all know that culture transformation, culture renovation in in community building, equity work, inclusion work, it takes time to do this. We can start initiatives right away, but it's it's a process, it's a learning and growing and a partnership with your consultant or your DEI leads in your organizations. So what are you doing now to prepare for that 5, 10, 15 year mark as opposed to- And it's inevitable. It's, and it's inevitable. Nothing, it's happening. Yeah, there's nothing you can do to change it. It's coming. Yeah. Yep. It's coming. It's coming. So what are you doing? 
Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll, I'll say that I think that this is a good segue to kind of get into more specifically like your time in tech, right? Because I think when we talk about upskilling and access and support and all of those things, I mean, most people, you know, have probably had a lot of time to either say, oh, we got more time that we have time to do it. We don't have to start now. And if if you're if you're one of those companies out there still thinking, oh, we still have time. No, the time time is past. Upskilling takes a lot of work. Um, I don't know, to your point about attracting talent, I mean, once again, having an attractive company is, is, is DNI is just one aspect of it, benefits, um, how you manage maternity leaves, paternity leaves, like all these things that in the past you could get away with because you had a high salary, but now it's like, no, to this point, people are looking for an organization that has the essence of not just the individuals or the managers, they're looking for what is the community and culture going to be for me? Because well-being and self-care and those things are really important to me and being a part of a company that I'm proud of. And I think, you know, shifting to the conversation around your time in tech, like what are some of those ways that you feel like companies and organization have really been able to, to either support or encourage people, uh, specifically historically, you know, excluded groups to pursue careers in tech? Well, I think first of all, they need to take our communities seriously. We there's so much talent out there, um, whether it be folks that are coming through boot camps or people that are parts of organizations like Afrotech or Latinas in Tech or Out in Tech. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, really good talent out there, and um, that people that are just waiting for like the right opportunity. So they need to be taken seriously, and and organizations and companies need to be aligning themselves with these very diverse sources of talent. You know, it's not, again, it's, it's inevitable. So like we need to, uh, I, I want to see more companies out there diversifying their talent sources. So that's number one. And I think, um, they need to treat us well. So it's not just a matter of hiring us and then just be like, okay, now my job is done. It's like, well, we're going to walk right out the door, the back door, if we're not um, being, you know, really feeling included and like we belong in these organizations and that we're being valued and appreciated. So um, that's another important factor, this notion of retention. And then I would say like, we need to be challenged in the same ways that our peers are challenged so we can rise and we can advance. Um, it is a fact that teams or departments that are led by underrepresented people those teams or departments are likely to be more inclusive. So, so again, so if like someone like me manages a team or department, that team or department is likely to be more inclusive just by the sheer nature that I'm part of, that I am leading that team. And that said, then companies really need to put people like us, all of us in this call, um, in, on this podcast, we need to be in senior roles. We need to be people leaders. Like that is really important because that's just, culturally speaking to you, to what you y'all said earlier, that's a quick way to improve the culture uh, in quickly is to have more, a more diverse uh, pool of senior and, and people leaders. And then last but not least, I would say like on the, in the C-suite level leadership, like company leadership and boards, like they need more people like us because they're really the ones that are driving uh, a lot of, you know, the way the, the, the direction that a lot of these companies move in. And um, I just think about Latinas and boards as an example. I'm Latina, so so that's the, that's the number that I like drill into. 
Latinas on corporate boards, it's like less than 2%. I believe it's 1.8%. And that's a travesty. Like we have so much to offer and yet we are often so undervalued and underappreciated in the spaces that we um, enter and and where we work and where we, you know, wherever we're, we're seen, um, people just take us for granted and don't really appreciate our value. And and it's it's evident in, you know, in, t- in leadership roles, it's evident in corporate uh, boards, it's evident even in just like people who are director plus, which that's what's considered considered like senior levels at companies, even in senior plus roles, you could count like on fingers of like the women of color in, in these director plus roles at big companies. Yeah. I'm yeah, not I naming mean, names. In my 20 <laughs> plus years of working in corporate, um, I encountered one Latina board member and they were speaking pu- in, a, in a public setting and um, someone said, do you feel so seen right now? And I said, I feel so seen. And I feel like I can do that as well, too. So it is, you know, we talk about representation does matter in all aspects. And and in that sense, it's like having um, people of color, people from under underrepresented, group, historically underrepresented groups, um, it's important to have them in leadership roles. It's important. And also to creating the environments where they can thrive, providing yep. the resources and the tools where they can, they can thrive, not just because like, oh, well, we need more Latinas on the leadership team or, you know, whatever that, whatever it may be, but it, it needs to, how are they thriving? How are they developing? How are they growing in, in the, in this skill set? Yeah. And one thing that I would add there, that a lot of the, traditional ways to get people uh, under historically underrepresented people or excluded people in these spaces, in these roles, is to like be like, we're going to give you a mentor, we're going to give you sponsors, we're going to give you training, we're going to give you all these things. And it's like, we're not broken. Hello. Like that, that, that implication that it's like, we need fixing is very harmful. You know, and, and it is another narrative that I would like to reject <laughs> very publicly here because that shit is offensive. You know, like, yeah, I might need a sponsor because I don't have one. But other than that, like all those other things, um, y'all just need to expand your definition of what like, um, you know, maybe executive presence is or maybe what the definition of polish is or professional professionalism or or, or all the, you know, like you, you uh you know, I've been going through interviews right now and some of the, some of the questions and some of the experiences I've had have been quite offensive because I feel a lot of people, there's a lot of things that are implied by the questions that people ask or the, you know, or in this case, the programs that people have put together. And it's like, well, we're the ones that are broken. It's like, I don't really like that suggestion at all. And I just feel like maybe, maybe our systems and the people that are you know, running them right now that have been in leadership roles and need to expand their view of, of of what constitutes a good leader, a good people leader, a good someone who's who's um got a lot of talent and skills and is ready or has a lot of potential. Like, you know, I don't ever think that I'm that people might see me as having potential. I've had to live with that reality that I always have to prove myself wherever I go. And it's, you know, I can't rest on my laurels. I can't just be like, oh, I had that really good project. It's like, I had that really good project Friday on Monday. I'm working hard again to figure out what the next thing is so I could keep on the right track and continue to be recognized as someone who's, you know, a high performer. I, I don't, I can't, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm not alone. I'm just, you know, no. saying my 
my experience. You're di- you know what? I'm so glad that you brought that up, Hadi. And I know Sherry, you're you're dying to 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 chat to talk it. And it, I'm sorry that I'm taking over this, but I feel so seen right now. I was just having this conversation of yes, I am a high performer, overachiever. I'm always looking for the next thing. As I I mentioned in my in my um in my auntie moment, like I know these things. I also, but that doesn't also that doesn't negate the fact that I am burnt out. I do get burned out, but I don't have the luxury to show that I'm burnt out or mm-hmm. that I come home and I show my worst self to my children, that I give my best self in this space because I want to be successful. And I'm doing air quotes because that definition is different for different people. But yeah. when I come home, I give the leftovers to my children. But people don't see that, right? It's like we're having to work harder and harder. And then and then once that project is done or once I've achieved what I have achieved, I can't sit down. I can't I can't relax. I gotta move on to the next big thing, you know? And it's just like it perpetuates that perfectionism. It perpetuates that overworking, overthinking. And then people are like, you need to relax and have some care. And like, you know, how do I relax in? How do I relax in? How? Got time like for that. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I echo the same. I, I, I'm just, yeah, I'm more quiet than ever because I just, I want to just honor the moment that we're having, right. Which is really around the fact that oftentimes when this conversation happens, you know, we're, we often kind of try to make, you know, we get so used to corporate, right. And here we're trying to debunk the myth, right? Which is authenticity actually delivers results, right? And inclusion actually delivers results and creating and fostering environments that value and reward that is always going to be able to win because there is so much options, optionality and in being able to leverage differences versus just similarities. And so in my mind, I'm just, I'm happy that we're having a conversation and and I appreciate the boldness of, Hadi, how you're sharing in that way to say, listen, I'm enough when I come to your organization, right? <laughs> like I y'all hired me for a reason, right? Um, and 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 leverage layering all these things to try to, you know, get me out of what has been successful for me to be more like you has been really just uh the constant expectation of these corporate environments that has really yielded the same results, which is the same conversation when I came into the organization, I mean, into the industry many years ago, which is like, we still trying to attract and retain diverse talent, like, and promote diverse talent. Why are we still working on that? We're still working on upskilling. We're still working on the same very things using very similar language as we have for decades now. And the companies who have decided to do it differently have been able to yield more results. And yes, they've had more scrutiny around how they've gone, you know, figured, tried to go about it. But at the end of the day, it's like, can we just stop having this conversation and actually just do what we say we want to do, right? Is create these cultures where people can thrive and be their most successful. And P.S., be a little bit more open-minded that it don't have to look like the last 45 years versus the last three. Yeah, I was going to say, I mentioned that I've been going to interviews and um, one of the things that, this is kind of how it feels, but like, I have a pretty good resume. I've worked for a lot of top companies. I have a lot of experience, very broad, lots of different experiences. But I would say 
you know, factually speaking, anybody could look at my resume and be like, wow, that's, you know, really good, solid background. You'd be good for a lot of roles. And I find that a lot of times when I'm interviewing, people are asking me things and they're like trying to find the thing that I have never done or the thing experience that I don't have to just be like, ha, gotcha. And it's like, what is the point of that? I have like, I'm 95% there. You're going to try and focus on the 5% to justify not hiring me. Okay, whatever. That's, I guess your choice. But like, that's what it feels like to me. Cause I'm like, I just told you like a thousand things I've done. And they're like, but you know, you, th this one like thing, you, right. you didn't do that or you didn't do that exactly the way we're, we're wanting right. you to have done it. So then that's going to be the reason you don't get this job. And it's been, you know, quite frustrating if I'm honest, you know, mm -hmm. to endure that kind of treatment and to walk away from those kind of conversations. I end up feeling bad and I have to work very hard to be like, you know, to your point, I'm enough. I, I'm 95% of the way there. Y'all got to be right. kidding me with this. Like right. if I was hundred percent, why would I even want the job? Right. Like that's it another is question you need to be asking yourself. Like if I've done it all, then I wouldn't be even applying for this job. What would be the point? Exactly. That's an interesting, I'm glad you, you brought that up kind of like the challenges that you're facing right now, going through your interview process. You know, what are some of the challenges that Latina women face when pursuing careers in the tech industry? And what advice would you give someone pursuing that career in tech? I think that sometimes, you know, we started off with stereotypes. I, you know, another word for them might be biases, but I do feel like people like putting us in a box and uh, there's this whole notion of pet to, to threat. Like people like us when we are like, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. And we're going to make you look good and make you shine. But when we want to shine, it's like, no, now you're a threat. Now you're, now you're being a troublemaker, hottie, please stop. Like that's not, you know, it's my, I'm the one shining, not you, you know? So I do feel like there's, there are some people that like us to be in our place, so to speak. And I would hope that companies make it a priority to create safe spaces where we can come and we can give our opinions and we can give feedback and we can disagree without fear of any backlash or other negative consequences. We shouldn't be punished for being outspoken. We shouldn't be punished for being assertive. We shouldn't be punished for disagreeing. Like that's all that everybody else gets to do that. We should get to do that too. Um, I will tell you that I once had a manager who referred to me as disruptive and this, he referred to me that way when I advocated for myself and my colleagues. And I felt like it was such an unfair characterization of me. Like, it implied that there was like some ill intent or that I was trying to cause harm to the team by my actions. And I really, I felt some type of way about it. Like I was really hurt and offended and just felt really bad about myself. And that, that to me is a problem when people, you know, um, use what you do against you. And it's something that to me, it was positive. I was advocating for myself and for my colleagues. How, how could that be twisted into something negative? Um, and I would say that even though it doesn't happen all the time, but I would say that sometimes the behaviors I exhibit are rewarded when other people do it. So when someone else speaks out, it's like, oh, Bob, thanks so much. That was, you know, thanks for bringing that up. Let's do things differently because you, you, you bring up a good point. But when I brought it up, it was like negative. And um, anyway, it, for me, I, 
a lot of times I took that on for, for a very long time. So talking about like, you know, some things that are Latinas experience, um, I feel like I took that on and it was work for me to reframe it and say, I was, I did do something. I was being disruptive, but in the best way possible, I would not do that any different because that I feel like that's how I am. That's who Hadi is. I like advocating for myself and for others. And, um, it's up to me to reject that narrative and say, no, you can't put me in that box and make me feel bad about doing something that I know is right. Yeah. And I, yeah. So yeah, I'll, I'll stop there. I don't even know. What was your question? <laughs> I feel no, like I you, like you definitely person. answered it. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Good. Yeah. It was all of that. And like how, you know, you're going through that interview process and all the things that keeps coming up and how can people navigate it? I think the, that last piece that you just said is kind of a, uh, you know, just dispelling the myths, right? I think it goes perfectly into one of the pieces of the conversations that you and Liz got into really was about your volunteer work, right? Like we're talking about these corporate myths, right? But let's add on a layer of like you, you volunteer and you work with women who are incarcerated and imagine all of those stereotypes we just talked about for individuals who can get through the door or understand the barriers that they may navigate. But then you add in this other piece, this other piece of a, a, a life experience where in our society has become really a, a huge barrier for entry in most cases to a lot of the things that, you know, quote unquote, incorporate in other spaces where ideally, you know, it's really about your expertise, right? Not necessarily your history. <laughs> uh, so, you know, do you mind just sharing a little bit about that work to kind of like really add on to that piece about, you know, what people are navigating and, and, and quite honestly, how did you get into that space of working with women who've been previously incarcerated? I want to talk about that. Can I spend 10 more seconds or maybe 20 of more course. talking about and however you want? Okay. I just want to, I want to give some advice to Latinas or women of color that, find themselves in the tech space. And I just want to say that tech is a very male dominated field. And oftentimes um, people don't expect, I have found that people don't expect a lot from me. And they're often surprised when I am outspoken or add value or have a point of view. And that's actually like, oh, like I didn't see that coming from you, Hadi. Like that they expected less. I, I could tell, I could feel it. And so, but I will say that in their defense, that once I have demonstrated that I can add value, I am respected and then I am included and I'm part of the conversation. And so my, my um, invitation and my advice to Latina women and women of color in general is that we, we are going to be constantly called to the rug to prove ourselves and to demonstrate our value. It's going to be exhausting um, but I would just want you to be prepared to expect it, to expect that that is going to be, the onus is going to be on you to demonstrate your value almost every time, every time you walk into a meeting, every time you walk into like a new meeting with new players and people don't know you, they're going to be like, oh, her, like, what's she going to bring? And it's like, is she here to take notes? No, I'm not here to take notes. Sorry. It's, I don't know who's taking the notes, not me. I'm here to add value. So let me tell you what my point of view is and how I think we can get the job done. So I just want you, uh, all of y'all Latinas and women of color hearing this to make sure that you are establishing your credibility out of the gate and that you are contributing like everyone else. And do not wait to be invited because you likely will not be invited. People are not expecting very much from us. So take it upon yourself to show up and step into your power. So that was that. 
That was my advice. Wanted to get that out there. Now I'm going to talk about prison. <laughs> wow. First I of mean, all, yeesh. let's I mean, take we, a moment because yeah. that was powerful. Did you get your notes down? Because I'm telling you, that was that was it. I mean, don't be expected to be invited. Listen, I I think it's a it's a, it's I think it's so funny because we always talk about you know you know the Renee Myers kind of you know divert you know in, what inclusion is and it's like being invited to the party and all that. It's it's. It, it does kind of wear with you over time. It's like, I'm not waiting for no invitation. I'm already I'm here. Go. Like, <laughs> I'm going to go with my bright, colorful self. Right. My disruptor, bold, sassy self. Right. Um, yes, I can control that because I'm a chameleon. But yes. I'm going to be there. I'm going to show up. I'm here. Where's the country? Yes. So fun. Thank you. And funny story is how many times have we seen people, specifically women and women of color, jump to move from one company and go into another company and that absolutely is just killing it. You know what I mean? Like they are successful. They're unleashed with their potential, the whole nine. And people are always so one the one thing they they think about isn't necessarily that person. They think about the organization they were working with and the leadership of like, what kind of culture was y'all running that y'all let this potential right here, you know, go over there and just be like whipping that company into shape. And it's it's that crazy, and it's a crazy conversation. We never hold people, companies or organizations or cultures accountable for the fact that they have either can be toxic or they can just be such that you can only be successful if you fit a certain type. And that certain type in the past and a lot, in many cases, could be white male or male, you know what, those things. And then when you add all the other layers, it's like, well, we didn't know what to do with that. <laughs> so, you yeah. know, I'm glad that company got the benefit of, they must've figured it yeah. out. No, they didn't figure it out. They they can read talent, not necessarily the identity of a person. They can read what talent is and what their company needs to be successful. But I apologize, but you hit a word on that one. That was a word. Okay. <laughs> Good. All right. So let's talk about jail. I like talking about jail. So uh, 10 years ago, I moved to Cochabamba, Bolivia for two years. And I uh, was an international volunteer. Um, and I was, uh, it was lovely. It was just such a good time in my life. Um, th that experience was a very positive time uh, for me. Uh, I knew before I went to Bolivia. So, so I'll backtrack and say that my mother and my sister died within like three years of each other. And that was probably the impetus for me doing this work is that I really wanted to make sure my life counted. And I was like, I, am I wasting my, I, I, you know, should I really be working at this bank or do I need to go be like doing something more meaningful? And so I decided that I would go um, work in another country we, and and Bolivia is the poorest country in Latin America. So it was a good place to go. And it was kind of cool because the mission organization that I aligned myself with, it was called the Ministry of Presence. So we were not really there to convert anybody or to like do anything other than just accompany the people in their life. So I'm, I go to jail to visit you and you're in jail and I'm just here to visit you. And that's all that's happening right now. There's nothing more. Um, I would say that what the more that did happen is that we created like a mutual friendship. So like these, I was, you know, there to support the women and conversely, those women were there to support me because I was living in a foreign land. I didn't, you know, it, Bolivia was, was a different, very different place for me to live. And I had to spend the holidays, you know, without my, my family and, and they were doing the same thing when they were in jail. Like they also were in a place that was quite foreign to them. 
And they also didn't have their families with them. And so we kind of accompanied each other in that same type of journey. So it was really interesting. Um, it was lovely. Like they celebrate, like they celebrated my birthday. They would, they did a despedida for me, which is like a goodbye party. Like they were just like, and then, you know, and, and I also did stuff for them. And it, I remember like when I was in, um, when I was there, it was like somebody's birthday was coming up and we're like, Oh, we should do something. And we're like planning somebody's birthday party. I'm like, this is so awesome. Like it was very genuine, uh, and mutual affection and admiration and appreciation that we had for each other. But I will tell you what I did. I was a life skills uh, instructor for a three month course that we offered for women leaving prison. So I partnered with an NGO and the NGO offered this, this life skills workshop. I taught health and wellness, but I also taught public speaking y'all, if you can believe it. So, so my love for public speaking comes from a, it, it's, it, it started a long time ago. And, um, I actually offered this course to the women that were part of this um, re-entry program, so to speak. And um, the, if y'all don't know uh, Bolivia, it's a very male-dominated, machista culture. And um, the women that I work with were very humble and, you know, kind of low-key. No one really cared what they thought. And I, and I don't think anybody ever asked them either. So I, I would give them like speaking assignments. So I would say, uh, what's the, what are you most proud of in your life? And they were like, I just got out of jail. Are you kidding me? And I'm like, no, no, think about it. Be ready tomorrow with uh, something that you're really proud of. Or what's your dream? What, what is something that you want in your life? And they were like, Bahani, like I'm poor. Like what, what, what could I have? You know, I don't have anything. And it's like, well, you better think about it. And so it was so much fun. Um, one of the other questions I asked them was what was one of the most valuable lessons they've learned in their life? And anyway, I would say that the women were all like, I can't do it. I'm so nervous. I, I don't know. I, I don't have an answer to this question. That's how they started. And then they would give this like amazing inspirational speeches and we would all be crying. And oh, it was just like a vibe, like total vibe. It was amazing. And then I did, so I did that for the, the life skills workshop for the women that were getting out of jail. Then I also took a class when I was in Bolivia called the Cristoforos course. So, you know, Bolivian speaks Spanish. So the, the that Cristoforos is, is Christopher's in English and, and it is a course in English too. But it's like kind of like Dale Carnegie, if, if y'all are familiar with that. And basically... I took that course when I first got to Bolivia because it was part of my strategy to really learn and think and speak in Spanish. And so fast forward, I was there like towards the end of my time, there was like about a year and a half to almost two years into my time there. Someone, uh, I, I was talking to like people and I was like, you know, it'd be cool if we did that class in prison. And it was like, well, if you get permission from the, the people, we will bring the class in there. And so we brought the speaking course into the prison and we had the women telling it was a like a speaking intensive that probably was like i don't know like a 40 hour class so we did it over the course of a week and these women were just talking about it it was like eight different things that they would talk about and every everybody had to give like eight different speeches is what it amounts to and it was so deep and so good and it was just you know those those were moments that brought me so much joy and just so much. Um, I don't know. I don't even know if I can find a, a good word to describe the feeling. It was just like, my heart was full from seeing them, you know, just find their voice and speak their truth and talk about hard things. And 
you know, there was one session, I'll tell you, where we we actually had a stick and we had to like be angry. Like that was the emotion that we needed to express in that speech. And they were like, you know, and you and oftentimes like, you know, it's it was like an acting course and you're like acting like the thing you're hitting. It's like a foam stick. It's not anything like that would hurt anybody, but you're like hitting with this foam stick and you're usually hitting an in uh, uh, something it represents something inanimate it, it yeah like it's not a real thing but you're hitting something and the things they were hitting and it was just like the injustice and the things you know like they were talking about like what brought them to jail and the injustices in their life and oh man it was just so powerful so anyway uh the surprise that I got out of that whole experience was just the being in relationship with those women and how much they how mutual it was because that was very unexpected you know thank you so much hadi for sharing that experience and, and i meant inanimate i just c- couldn't think of the word inanimate object like uh, you know. yes yes got it thank you so much for sharing that experience with us and with our listeners and 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 being so vulnerable in that moment um that's one thing that one of our episodes that we had a few months ago um it was a, an episode on uh, with, with Sara, um, and she talked about how in these experiences, when we go off and you know we're we think we're doing it for our we think we're doing it for others, but really what happens is it ends up bringing community changes to us, you, and it yeah. changes you and who you are and how you show up in this world. And um, and I love the storytelling of this because it it almost I always feel like storytelling humanizes people and humanizes um it humanizes people and so I love the fact that you brought the storytelling and this skill is such an incredible skill that I feel like even in organizations I wish they would teach more storytelling more presentation more and not like presentate like okay there's 26 slides and we're gonna go about in 12 minutes you know <laughs> nobody needs 40 slides in an hour okay y'all let's let's take that back well we need a storytelling because yeah. and share if i may share that book that you you sent me was on everybody has a story to tell and it is so powerful and it's true and yeah. and it opened my eyes like it took away that fear of of like, well, you know, like you said, the women in the in in jail were saying, well, who's going to want to listen to me? And, you know, and saying, I don't even think people asked them, how did you feel? Yes. And the questions that you gave, my favorite question in that is, when, what was your last dream? Or what is your dream? Because yeah, even, dream even, your life? even now, like as adults, when was the last time you had, you gave yourself the opportunity to dream? And I think so many of us, like if we just dream just a little bit more, you know, like I think I think you make things impossible more possible for you. Thousand percent. I also have a funny I'll tell you a real quick funny story. But I took like a little it was like the holidays. And so like maybe I took two weeks off from going to prison because I was there usually a couple of times a week. So then maybe between Christmas and New Year's, I didn't go. And then I came back and, you know, we were like catching up and quite animated and like laughing at things that happen. And like one of the security guards came up to me and she's like, why are you here in Spanish? But I'm just going to say it in English for your crowd. Why are you here? And I was like, I come here every week. Like I'm here with the women, you know? And she was just like, well, people are laughing too much. You have to leave, come back another day. And it's like, they couldn't, 
<laughs> I always say I got I got kicked out of jail for for having too much fun. But I was like really worried for the women, so I like called them after. I'm like, are you like are y'all okay? And they're like, yeah, it's no big deal. Like, yeah, after you left, she just sent us back to ourselves, and and then like come back next week and everything will be fine. But the late the 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 guard was like, y'all are having too much fun. I, that's not okay. I also um another quick story. My, I have an aunt that's like in her 80s and um we're Puerto Rican. I think I mentioned that early on. And I invited her to come to Bolivia when I was there. And she came into prison and she cooked aro con gandules and I forget what else while we were there. She brought the gandules from like the, the States. And I remember when we walked into jail, we had like the olla, the like the pot for the rice and the can of beans and I some rice it. and whatever. And the guardia, the guard was like, what's going on here? There's too much stuff you bring it in. And we're like, no, we're going to cook. We're, we're going to cook with the ladies. We're going to teach them how to make this dish. And she was like, all right, me trae un plato, which yeah. in English is, don't bring me a plate. Oh, so yeah, she wanted okay. them too. <laughs> yeah, she was like, okay, y'all can do it. Bring me a plate. And sure enough, my <laughs> ankles made that con gandules. And I forget what else. It was some meat that we did with it. And then we brought the, the guard the plate to eat. I and love was, that. Oh, I love okay. it. I've never that was heard another of fun that, story. Like, thinking, you know, cooking some good food in jail. That's well, I figured I'd share my culture with them because most of the time they were sharing the Bolivian culture with me. So, and I can't cook. So I was like, well, when my aunt comes, she's going to cook. I love yeah. that. That's that I first of all, all those stories are so unexpected. I'm just a little in shock. I'm just trying to digest it all. I'm like, you know, I was just like, okay, wow, what a system that actually encourages, you know, the self-development piece as well as, you know, you know, thinking about trying to get bring some of that stuff into a, a prison here in the US it would definitely not happen. Yeah, that's um, happened. But just thinking about that connectivity, right? Like oftentimes people aren't don't uh, the the humanity that is in all of those stories and keeping that connection with individuals who typically people just kind of you know set aside you know until for whatever for our for whatever reason instead of just really engaging in community that story about the laughs is always going to kind of stick with me on that one because yeah. it's so powerful it's like you know, you get to see a moment where someone is getting experiencing some joy and some happiness in a difficult situation and they shut it down. Like we can't give you hope. We can't give you hope. Right. That, that to me, so it, you know, I probably got a journal about that today. I do want to ask now that we're talking about, um, a little bit about hope and inspiration and the things that kind of fed you and not just in the volunteerism, but the community and the connection you made with those individuals. But I just can't help but understand, okay, how did you and Liz get to all of these topics and then somehow land on art and uh, street graffiti? Like, what is happening here? Like, now I'm- We're multi-dimensional. <laughs> I mean- I'm sorry, Sarah, it went all over the place because we, we, we have a, what is it, ADHD? That, yeah, that might be I told you, Sarah, did I tell you I got undiagnosed? <laughs> I'm telling she, you, she I got did. it. She self-diagnosed herself at this point. And I believe her because she's done so much research on it. Listen, whatever you want to be, like, I believe you. I believe you. I, but seriously, how did y'all get to a passion around street art and graffiti? Like, I, you got to bring us along because you said that earlier. And I'm like, we have talked about some deep topics. And this one right here, I just want to know how y'all landed. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't remember how we got there, but I will tell you how why I love street art so much. I'll tell you a little bit about it. First of all, I consider myself to be someone who's very social justice oriented. 
And I feel like street art has a, a, a decent intersection with social justice. And the reason I say that is because I feel like, you know, usually it's, it's the voice of the people. That's, that's what street art is a lot of the time. Most of the time, that's really what it represents. It's like what that community is thinking or feeling, what they hold to be important, the values, you know, when they say things like community and justice. And, you know, I know like um, the summer that George Floyd was murdered, there was so much street art and graffiti in New York City. And I went around and took pictures and, you know, just the stuff that I discovered and uncovered was just very powerful because it was just the voice of the people. People were just expressing themselves. And um, yeah, so so I think that's why I love it. I love the aesthetically too. Like I like a lot of colors. I like bold colors. And I, maybe like that's like part of my Latinidad. It's just like really, I've, I've always really enjoyed bold colors. So so I, I, I like it. I It just really... I notice it, I should say, you know, wherever I am, I notice it. And not everybody does, but I do. And um, I got hardcore into it when I lived overseas. So I've taken street art pictures in Bolivia, in Argentina, in Brazil. Um, most uh, recently I was in um, Florence and I was in Portugal and there's a lot of street art there too. There's street art everywhere. That's the other thing that it's universal, you know? So it's like the language of the people and it's universal and you know, oftentimes illegal, not always, but like that I think makes it adds a little bit of extra flavor because it's like, you really have to go out of your way to put it there. And you took a risk to get it out there because you had something to say. And I like that, like that all to me is very much in alignment with social justice and, you know, movements that are about like, I don't know, like oppression and, and anti-oppression. Um, so, so yeah, one cool thing that I've done is I like going to different countries and cities and I like getting photo shoots taken. That's like a new thing. I don't know if y'all know about that, but I'm a generation Z that like is like a young lady. And I'm like, I'm doing I that. I love this. That is cool. A cool thing to do. It costs money, but it's it's very affordable. And then they usually take you like to different landmarks. So like, I'm like in front of the Dromo and I'm like walking and it's like, a you know, picture me in front of like, I don't know, like random places in, in Florence, random places in like Lisbon and in Porto. And um, so these photographers usually, um, it's very like photojournalistic. Like, they, you know, they have some standards, but you they talk to you to kind of get to know you. And so I always tell them, I love street art. So if we can do any pictures of me interacting with the street art, that is what I would prefer. So then I had this one guy in Porto that was like, I know the spot. He took me and I was like engaged with the street art. I was like one with the street art. I was like, my face was going in and it was like mirroring the street yeah, art. Like he took it to another it. level. It's very, very fun. First so, of all, Liz's face is like, you know what they're saying, Sharon. You know what they're saying. What are they saying? What are they saying? We're doing it. We're doing it. Listen, we just talked about financial well-being, okay? I just want to throw that out there, but y'all all heard it today. Liz is already cooking up our uh, next uh, international photo mentally. shoot. I'm adjusting my hair it's so fun. And you can do it wherever, even where you live. Like you just need somebody, your buddy, a buddy, someone who well, knows how to take your pictures. That was Liz's idea. The graffiti yeah. um, on all of our uh, Instagram, all our websites for our photo shoots. That was Liz's inspiration. Her and Mac Ryan, 
got together and cooked that up. And it's some of my favorite pictures, by the way, uh, in all of the pictures that we took for that particular shoot. And I will tell you though, Liz, Liz had put her foot down early on. I was like, we're going to do graffiti art. I was like, I don't know how that, how we're going to make that happen, but yes. It's so pretty. But it's we so did a lot of looking at it before we took the photos, even though Mac Ryan, shout out to Mac Ryan, um, definitely Haley over there, definitely gave us some recommendations but you forget how beautiful that is right like we drive around houston houston has tons of moral uh murals and what i will tell you is you know to your point a lot of that isn't always like you know up and up right someone went at the dark hours and worked on something beautiful and, and yes it has an amazing story but i mean once again 50 years of hip-hop you know, uh, graffiti is a part of the yes. experience. To your it's point, part of the culture, having a voice and being being un, not often heard, or having a place to put your voice and have something to say, and being able to just to find a way to say it. And to me, art and graffiti is so stunning because every time you look at it, you see another dimension. That's why it's yeah. amazing. It's and the I, voice of the people. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. And yes, 100% hottie. It's the voice of the people. I love it because um, like in the neighborhood where I grew up, that was how young men expressed themselves. And I, I grew up in a very Latino dominated neighborhood. And the narrative in most families is that art is 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 reserved for girls. And there's no outlets for men to speak. And it's for Latina women, that's how we survive, is through community. Men, Latino men, tend to not have that. So graffiti provides that community and it provides a, a sense of creativity. And I love it because, and yes, it might be illegal in some places, but you know what though? Like graffiti makes it beautiful. And it is expressive and it and it gives you a view and a perspective into and I make I make I'm making I'm making a there not an assumption here that all graffiti artists are men. That is not true. There's some amazing female graffiti artists as well, too. Yep. But it's a form of expression, things that are inside that that somebody has told you 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 can do, you know, traditional art isn't reserved for you, right? And it's like you're redefining what art is. Um, we had a, an interview with uh, Fred uh, ago last well, a few few weeks ago, a few months ago, where he he takes away like what professionalism is and what what art really, really, truly is, right? And so I that's why I love it. And I also I will share like a very personal story. So my first love of my life uh, was a graffiti artist, and he unfortunately passed away. Uh, he was in the military and he he died in the military. He never knew I was in love with him. I was uh, his little sister's best friend. <laughs> and 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 he always called me polar bear. And he I have so many of his graffiti art that I that I keep and I still have. And so every time I see graffiti, I'm like, that's you. So that's a little personal story. And that's, that's why I'm so like connected to it in that way, because I feel like he's always there you know as we always remember our first love of our lives right <laughs> he didn't know it though it's all right <laughs> well um yeah i'm I, it's so nice that we all have like 
an appreciation for it for different reasons. But like, that's the, I, I guess that's the beauty of it. it. It just represents so many different things to different people. Just as like a little on the down low, I actually did a, I dabbled in street art and uh, I have um, like a persona. Uh, her name was Positive Vibes Girl. Cause I'm like, ah. Positive Vibes, that's me. I was Positive Vibes Girl with a Z. And um, I, I, you know, I got up a little bit, uh, mostly stickers and paste ups, but, uh, it was all about women of color. So it was promoting women of color in that space, which obviously there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of women in general. Uh, there's obviously a growing population, but women of color are still, you know, like in every other place, we're so underrepresented. So I felt like it was really important to give a message to the women of color on the streets. Well, first of all, you're going to just drop that in there. You know, you're going to send us some photos of positive vibes, girl. I don't know what it was, but we want to know what it she has an Instagram account. I'll send you the Instagram yes, account. Yes, we got to share with our listeners, for sure. Like, you're just okay. going to go drop that in there. Like, oh, just casually, I do this on the side. No, that is something, okay? It's, it's been a while. It's been a while, but it was uh, it was something that was uh, like an expressive, an exp like a way for me to, uh, an outlet to express myself a little bit. Perfect. Well, speak, speaking of expression, we are now at the end of our episode and we have, this has been such a fruitful conversation. I mean, I, as you, as our listeners got to see the vastness of the topics between how much we've got time we've had with Hottie and how amazing and how um, versatile and all the intricacies. Like that word. Yeah, versatile. And it's just so the intricacies of just the the span of your experiences and what you have to offer to this conversation. I feel like we don't, we didn't even hit all the things that we could actually talk about with their wealth of knowledge. I will like to say that we like to end the show with some closing reflections um, and we will invite you to do it. I, I want to to start my reflection by saying, you know, this conversation after coming off a break, um, and really having some time to kind of reflect on the work that, uh, that we've all been doing, the state of where we are as a country or world and all the things that's happening around us and to us and to the people we love. I, I feel uh, so hopeful in this conversation that one, I got the rest that I needed so that, you know, and whoever was carrying the baton for a month, I appreciate y'all. Okay. Whoever that was, thank you for holding the good fight. Um, but it, what I, what it brings up for me is just that, you know, this conversation is reflective of who we are in this work. And it's the, the serious, serious, intense moments of our life, the things that we choose, like our volunteerism that fills us up all the time. Um, it's our passions that people don't expect like graffiti art or, you know, cafecito in Brooklyn, you know, like it's, it's all those things that just I needed to hear to kind of reinvigorate the fact that, you know what, this work can chip at you, chip away at all the things at you over time, but how important it is to make sure that we're honoring ourselves in the authentic parts of us and giving it space to show up like we did in this conversation. Um, and I, and I appreciate that because I feel like that's what has happened over these few months is really been able to reflect on all the things that I'm filled up on and all the things that I need to keep more conscious of because it, it depletes faster than I expected. But I really, I really appreciate it. And I, I counted how many times we kept using passion, like passion came up so much. Like if you go and do a cafe or a drinking game, this is it. Okay. Listen, how much, how many times 
in this vast conversation, we said passion. And I think you'll be surprised like how the depth of what we do and who we are kind of shows up in that way. So yeah, thank you. This this was this fed me in a different way and I needed it. Oh, thanks. Buddy, I'd me. invite you to to offer your own your own reflection before we close out. I just want to say, just remember you're enough and uh step into your power. Don't don't let don't let other people define you or how you are or who you are or what what you meant or what you intended. Just own own it. Own your story, own your narrative. Step into your power. You're enough. Oh, I love it, Hadi. Thank you so much. I think Shara, you and, and Hadi have really provided the reflections, everything that was in my mind. And I think I love it. I do. I love the stepping into your power and not forgetting about how amazing, incredible you are and what all talents and gifts that you carry. And also even your own lived experiences. All those make you your wonderful, beautiful self. And I, I I, do love this conversation, Sharon. I think it's such a beautiful one to have after having a whole month's break. So Hadi, thank you for bringing that gift towards us and being so vulnerable and just and sharing with us. And I hope you come back and let's bring some graffiti artists in here too. Ooh, I have, I know some. Oh, yes, we'd love it. We'd love it. Well, thank you so much, Hadi. Um, listeners, thank you all so much for bearing with us as we take a month off of, as we took a month off to reset, recharge, um, and refresh. And we're going to have some amazing content. Go follow us at morethanwordspodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. We have a Facebook group. And um, we're going to have some amazing things happening for the end of the year and next year. So come on, like, subscribe comment, share, share with your friends, do all that. So thank y'all so much. See y'all later.